Hello and welcome to episode four of the Training with Tucker podcast. My name is Tucker Gross. I'm an endurance athlete and I'm also a coach. I started this podcast to put out five to 10 minute segments on a variety of different training topics to help athletes out there improve and have a deeper understanding of how to train. Thanks to everyone who has downloaded and listened, as well as given reviews, ratings, and feedback on my previous episodes. I received a request from my good friend Max for more Will Ferrell quotes, so this one's for you. Ma, the meatloaf. Today's episode is going to look a little different and will likely be a bit longer than usual as I'm going to bring on my first guest. I'll be joined by my friend Chase Harris. I met Chase last year at a Denver Trail Runners group run, and we've become good friends since then, and I coached him for the Arches 50 Miler, which took place on January 30th in Moab, Utah. He and I both participated in this event, and we're going to recap the day and share some valuable tidbits for you all to take into your training. But first, I'm going to go over some recommendations for how to run an ultramarathon. First, let me define what an ultramarathon is. An ultramarathon is any foot race longer than a marathon, which is 26.2 miles. Typically, the shortest ultra-distance events are 50 kilometers. When I tell people that I am planning to run 50 miles or 100 miles, the reaction I often get is, all at once? Or, how many days does that take? Or, do you sleep? Or most commonly, why? The reasons to pursue an ultramarathon vary person to person. But for me and for many others, these events are an opportunity to test both physical and mental limitations. Another draw towards ultras is that oftentimes athletes who run will hit a point where it becomes harder and harder to improve at the shorter distances. And so going longer is seen as a new way to test oneself. If you are considering an ultra-distance event, here are a couple things to take into consideration. The first thing to know is that preparing for an ultra does not look a lot different from preparing for a road half or full marathon. And that is because training the energy systems and building endurance and strength still matter, just as they do in training for road races. Doing intervals, tempo runs, and long runs are the building blocks for training, regardless of whether you are signed up for 13.1 or 100 miles. The primary consideration for me as a coach when helping someone train for an ultra is available time. If you currently train 7 hours a week due to work, family, and other commitments, that is likely all you can manage for training for an ultra. I never ask an athlete to train more than they are able to. We look at what they have going on in their life and we build out the best possible training program inside of the time they have available. The next consideration is specificity. Just as you should train differently for the Chicago Marathon and the New York Marathon, training for one ultra will look different from training for another based on the specific demands of that event. As you will hear in my conversation with Chase, we trained for a 50 miler with roughly 8,000 feet of elevation change, which may sound like a lot, but over 50 miles is not so bad. Elevation change, altitude, weather, and how technical the course is will impact how you train. Chase and I knew that we wanted to get experience running as much as possible on runnable trails with roughly 150 to 200 feet of elevation change per mile. The altitude and expected weather and temperature were very similar to what we have here in the front range of Colorado, so we did not need to do anything specific to train for those elements. The most important thing I will stress to you is that each and every person out there is capable of finishing an ultra. As they say, ultra running is 80% mental and the other 20% is between the ears. 
Ultra runners are not superheroes. I ran an ultra last September and I came across a guy who had never run a single road race in his life and had barely trained and his longest run prior was 20 miles and he was at mile 75. Finishing an ultra is much more about simply not quitting than it is about putting in ridiculous training volume. That being said, I highly recommend training as much as possible and as specifically as possible for an ultra. If you're currently considering running an ultra, reach out to me by email or on social media, and I'm more than happy to give you some more specific suggestions on how to train. Now let's get into the recap of the Arches 50 miler. Please enjoy my conversation with Chase Harris. All right. Hey, Chase, how's it going? Good, Tucker. How are you? Doing great. First question I want to ask you, we're we're two weeks out from the 50 miler. How are the legs feeling? The legs are feeling good now. Say I'm probably back to back to 100% now. It's it's taken some time to to get back to normal. Yeah, that's completely understandable. <laughs> but uh, you did a you did a, your longest long run since the 50 miler a couple of days ago. How'd that go? Uh, that went fine. I uh, so I went on a run actually yesterday. I did North Table Mountain um, and and then some. So did about 10 miles, and that run felt great. I'm a little bit sore today, but that's kind of be to be expected. Kind of, kind of getting back into the the swing of things. Absolutely. So I want to first go into your training. You and I started working together back in November 2020. What did your training look like for this event, and what were some of the challenges that we we faced uh, along the way? We were kind of under the gun um, as far as timeline goes. So you're right. At the end of November, we started putting together a training plan. And then, of course, Arches was, you know, early February, the first weekend of February. So we really had less than 10 weeks to, to train. But, you know, the, what we went with was, you know, we really wanted to get time on feet. So we had long runs on the weekends. Um, we did some tempo runs and some speed work a little bit starting out. But then we just really started to focus in on, you know, increasing that mileage to help prepare me for, you know, 50 miles, you know, going into the 50 miler, I had never done anything more than a 50 K. So it was quite a bit, bit of a jump for me, but I just wanted to make sure that I had all the time on my feet that I needed uh, to be well prepared for the race. Absolutely. And one of the challenges that we faced and that a lot of individuals face is that you have other things going on in your life that restrict the amount of time that we can train. So talk a little bit about some of the things that you had going on and, and what we had to take into account when we kind of built out your, your training. So I help out with a local uh, university's tennis team. Um, and I have some other extracurriculars that are, you know, outside the, the normal nine to five. So we had to make sure that, you know, while we were still trying to get that, that time on my legs, that we were flexible during the week, which worked out just fine. And then, you know, my, my weekends, I was able to fit in those, those longer runs on Saturdays and on Sundays. But the flexibility during the week was key for me because there are certain times where I work East Coast hours, I'm online at 6 a.m. And then, you know, by the time I'm done working, I'm on the tennis court sometimes until 6 p.m. And I'm exhausted after that. So um, being able to, you know, be flexible during the week and substitute run days with rest days when it makes sense was, was pretty key for me. And as you mentioned already, the focus down the stretch was getting a lot of time on feet on the weekends when you had more time available. You had a couple of weeks where we did some, some longer single session long runs. And then we also had 
a couple of weekends where we did back-to-back long runs. Talk a little about your experience with spending a lot of time on your feet in those single sessions and also in the, the back-to-backs. So it's probably worth mentioning too, kind of like what my run experience was prior to this. So I had completed just one. I completed one marathon two years ago and then 150K about four or five months prior to the Arches um, Ultra in February. So my background when it came to training was, you know, I, I just wanted, I was always hitting mileage goals, you know, just gradually increasing mileage. When we took that a couple steps further, once I hired you, I was still hitting those longer runs on the weekends and I was still increasing my, my total mileage for a given week. But what we really wanted to focus on too was to run on tired legs. So as our training progressed, um, one of the things that we did was we would do a long run on Saturday and then also another long run on Sunday, which was completely new to me. But I think it actually helped me out a lot um, in training for, for the 50 miler. And the other thing too, that was pretty um, new to me is, you know, I come from Indiana and I just moved to Colorado in, in September. So <laughs> most of my running, even when it was on trail, was on, you know, a lot of flat surfaces, not used to really getting a whole lot of vert or altitude. So one of the things that we really tried to key in on was, um, was, you know, practicing with vert. So it wasn't so much just getting 15 miles in on Saturday and then like a, a 10 mile run on Sunday. It was to get 15 miles and then to also get plenty of vert and then to do the same thing on Sunday, do 10 miles and get plenty of vert. So that was new to me. But like I said, I think it definitely paid off once I, once I ran arches. Awesome. Yeah. And, and the focus for us was, on getting experience on similar trails to what we were going to be doing at Arches. And we didn't know exactly how technical the trails were going to be out there, but we did have a pretty good sense of how much elevation change, how much climbing we wanted to do per mile. So picked a couple different trails and figured out like, all right, this is going to be pretty similar to what we can expect on race day. Do you think that that helped at all to do the, you know, the runs that we did at North Table Mountain where we had some similar elevation change per mile that we saw over the 50 mile race? Oh, without a doubt. And I think we even did the math um, before and after and we were kind of looking at North Table Mountain, how it how it was actually going to prepare me even better, um, because in a sense, it was going to it's more it's more elevation gain than what we expected at Arches. And I kind of liked that mentality too, because it's kind of like having something in your cookie jar when it does come um, to race day. You know, I was able to tell myself like sections of North Table Mountain are, you know, tougher than, you know, what I'm experiencing right now here in Moab. So that was, that was good kind of for my, for my psyche for sure. So let's get into race weekend. Uh, you got out there. We both got out to Moab on Friday. Do you have any race day or pre-race superstitions, anything that you really wanted to focus on? doing the night before or the morning of to make sure that you were in a a good mindset when the the gun went off? Yeah. I mean, no superstitions per se, but I, I've run long enough now, um, that I kind of understand my, how my body works, um, when it comes to race days. And for me, I mean, I've got the opposite of a iron stomach. I've got a really weak stomach. So what I try to focus on was 48 hours out. I was eating food that only like really agreed with with my digestive system. So I was eating a lot of rice, chicken, and guac. That's kind of just my go-to that I've learned, and it uh, causes me no issues. So I, I was basically eating that meal on repeat for 48 hours. Um, and then the other important thing for me is, you know, in the morning, um, I'm an early riser. I think we started at 
I think our first wave was at 6.30 a.m. I like to be up and moving for at least like two and a half hours. So I was up um, by 4 a.m. And that gave me plenty of time to have, you know, a cup of coffee, a light um, breakfast, and to just kind of go through everything that I had packed and ready ready to go for um, for race day. But um, yeah, no, no superstitions per se, but there were definitely uh, some things that I wanted in order prior to race day. And how was your, your night's sleep before the 50 miler? <laughs> yeah. So as you know, um, I probably, I probably caused, uh, you some anxiety with this, but, uh, so for my race, um, I actually made it to Moab with my girlfriend, her best friend, and then each of us all have a dog. So we brought three dogs. So we packed up my, uh, Hyundai Santa Fe. And it was three humans and three dogs. And then we all stayed in the same uh, hotel room, which made for a very eventful weekend. But, you know, that was one of the things, too. You know, the girls knew that it was my first 50 miler and how, how serious I was taking it. So I told them, I was like, hey, I need sleep. The lights are going to be off at 8, 8, or 8 p.m. And we all went to bed pretty early. Um, in the middle of the night, though, one of the dogs was um, was not going to sleep. So my girlfriend's uh, friend, Stephanie, she ended up grabbing my keys and taking her uh, her dog out to my car, and they slept in my car through the night. Um, so she took one for the team. But yeah, uh, we made it work. Yeah, we made it work, and I still got I still got eight hours of sleep. So it worked out. That's great. Well, it's good to have a crew that is understanding of you know, what you're going through and and what you need to focus on and. So it was very nice of her to take one for the team. I know she didn't get a ton of sleep that night, but you know, it was a very nice thing for her to do and put you first. But yeah, what a what an interesting night situation leading up to the race where you got you know six individuals, uh three dogs, three humans in, in one hotel room. But impressed that you managed to snag eight hours. So let's go into the race day. How are you feeling morning of? And let's start to just kind of walk through the the day and how you felt throughout. Yeah. So woke up on race day and like I said, you know, I had a cup of coffee, I think for breakfast, again, something that just really agrees with my stomach is oatmeal. So I had some oatmeal and then I had a bagel and that was it. But as far as race day went, like I really didn't have the nerves. I really didn't have jitters. I even remember having a conversation with my girlfriend, Nikki, and she's like, are you nervous? Are you nervous? And I really was like, no, I just knew that it was going to be such a long race. And then I, and I knew it was, I was just going to be like, I was going to be hitting walls and it was going to be tough. Like there was nothing that was going to, I, I felt like there was nothing that was going to surprise me. I just knew that in some instances it was, it was just going to suck and I'm just going to have to get through it. But once, once we had left our hotel room, we headed to the, the start finish line, which was only, I think it was like 10 miles away from where we were staying. Once I popped out of the car, um, I think that's when nerves really started to come. I knew that, you know, I'd be running within 20 minutes and, you know, I just wanted to stretch, get some jitters out, do a dynamic wor- uh, warm up. I think that's when I saw you outside. <laughs> and then one, one very minor thing that kind of crossed my mind was, uh, you know, it was pretty dark at, at, you know, 6.30 a.m. in Moab, but uh, the moon, the moonlight was pretty strong. And I thought that I would be able to get away without a, uh, a headlamp. And <laughs> when we parked our car, all of the other runners, literally every single runner had had a hand headlamp except for me. And I was like, oh, man, I should have brought one. But by the time we started, honestly, the visibility was clear and I had no issues 
you know, not having a headlamp. However, next time I'm going to make sure that I bring one uh, with me to the, to the start line. But yeah, that was, that was kind of like my, my first three hours of the day. That's kind of how uh, things went going, uh, going into the beginning of my, of my ultra marathon. Awesome. Well, one of the things that we wanted to get out of this experience was learning some lessons. And I think there is a, a lesson to take out of that is make sure you bring a headlamp, even if you think that the sun's going to be up at 6.30am, because it, it was dark. It was a lot darker than I expected. And there were a couple other runners out there without headlamps, and they seemed to do okay, but better to have it and not need it than not have it and need it. So good lesson to learn start going through through the day. You know, it's dark when we start. It's it's a beautiful place to be running. Moon is out. There's just these gorgeous red rocks all around us. What was the first kind of 15, 20 miles of the the race like for you? It's pretty funny. I mean, it's, so to take a step backwards, one of the things that we had done, um, Tucker, was we kind of came up with uh, some goals. And then we also came up with like, you know, how are we going to achieve these goals? And we were looking at the elevation profile. And, you know, one thing that I had noticed was the first 15 miles looked pretty flat. So I thought that, you know, I could attack those miles. And when I say attack, you know, run, still run at a conversational pace, but have splits that were lower than what I was used to out at North Table Mountain with all that elevation. Right. And I thought that that was going to be totally doable. And um, I quickly found out within the first three miles my splits were, you know, a minute, two minutes over what I had expected. So the, the, my game plan kind of went out the window immediately. And, um, I kind of remember telling myself, like, I'm three miles in. I'm not going to stress about it. I've got a lot of race to go. And, you know, at three miles in, almost seven o'clock, the, the sun is about to start rising and it was just beautiful outside. So I just, I just took it all in. I was like, hey, let's just enjoy this and let's just go mile by mile and let's let's just run our own race and let's see what happens. And so, yeah, I wasn't worried about my splits the rest of the race, but I still was I was still trying to be conscious of how I was running the ultra marathon. And what I mean by that is like I wanted to make sure that I wasn't that I wasn't going to bonk and that I that and that I was going to be exhausted by by the time I finished. So I was still just paying attention to my body mile by mile. And to go back another step to our kind of goal setting process and give anyone who's listening a, a sense of what your goals were, your A goal going into this was to finish under nine hours. Your B goal was to finish under 10 hours. Your C goal was to finish your first 50 miler. So, you know, we, we came up with those goals. Those are what we were committed to. As you said, we, we developed some process goals of what, what we needed to do step by step to make sure that that was a reality. But as you found out early on, sometimes you just have to throw it out the window and figure it out on the way, right? And to kind of spoil the, the story here, you ended up beating your, your A goal. But again, the, the pacing at the beginning wasn't what you expected. What went into the, the challenges in the, the early, earlier stages of the, the race that forced you to slow down a little bit? Yeah, so... I guess with the elevation profile, it tells you how much elevation you'll get, but it, it doesn't tell you at all how technical um, the trail will actually be. And it also doesn't really factor into, um, you know, the conditions of the day. So, you know, our race morning um, conditions were pretty good weather wise. It was um, the air was dry. There was no precipitation, you know, going on during the start. But overnight, 
um, there, there had been a little bit of pre uh, precipitation, a little bit of water on the ground and there were freezing temperatures. So some of the, uh, some of the trail where we were, we were on was actually, it had like a very thin layer of, of ice on it. So, you know, when I was going downhill, um, I wasn't able to run as freely or as fast as I wanted to. I was breaking a bit more with my quads. Um, so that slowed me down. And then, like I said, you know, it was a little bit more technical than I had expected. A little, a few more switchbacks in the first five miles. It wasn't as straight. So I wasn't really able to attack the trail like I had envisioned either. So very quickly, I realized that the whole course could potentially be more technical and that all of my splits could, you know, be a little bit higher than, than anticipated. Right. And to give a little bit of a course recap, the there were good portions of this course where you were essentially running on what I think they call slick rock. And the only way I've been able to describe it is that it felt like you were running on the moon. And I know that that is something that we all can't probably understand, but it really looked like you're just running on this massive rock that has all these little divots and dips and a very technical rock. It wasn't a flat surface. And so not only did we have that to, to challenge us, but then also, as you mentioned, we were essentially following a mountain bike path. And the way that they mark this path is by spray painting a line on the rock. And it didn't go in a straight line. There were a lot of twists and turns and switchbacks. And so you could be, you could kind of see maybe a quarter mile ahead, someone that might be ahead of you. And it might look like there's a straight path to get there, but the actual course takes up a bunch of little S turns and switchbacks to actually get there. So it was hard to maintain any kind of a pace because you're always doing these tight turns and, you know, weaving around the course. So I totally understand how that slowed you down and forced you to kind of re reassess your, your pacing goals. Um, I want to get into like the big picture of the day. What were some of the high points for you? And then conversely, what were some of the low points that the spots where you really were challenged? Sure. Yeah. Um, I think it'd be easier for me to answer the low points first. Pretty quickly, I, just kind of touching base on the slick rock. So the slick, the slick rock is like running on stone. It's very hard surface. And to your point, it's uneven, right? So the bottom of my feet and my ankles definitely got a workout that they had never had before. Um, there was just a lot of ground and pounding. And, uh, Honestly, by mile 15, I was starting to feel, um, I was starting to feel some throbbing coming. I felt great otherwise, but the bottom of my feet just hurt. And I was like, oh man, like I'm going to have to suck it up. But that was my first like downer because I knew it was just going to be like a thing that continued to nag for 35 more miles. So that was, that was a, a point where I, I just kind of had to, you know, bite my lip and just say, Hey, you know, well, welcome the pain today will eventually be over with just try not to pay attention to it too much because it's not going away you know and then um i would say about mile 40 10 miles to go i just i felt i felt pretty good and to know that like you're 80 percent done with a 50 mile race at least for my psyche like i just knew that like i had done so many 10 mile runs what's one more like you know what i mean like I just felt like I'm going to finish this and I'm going to be able to finish it strong. And then also like my math isn't, isn't great, especially when I've been, you know, running for at that point, probably like seven hours or so, but I started to back into, Oh, I can beat nine hours. I can totally do that. Like I feel strong. 
10 miles left. I've got time on my side. That's when things like really started to look up for me. And I had also known too, again, like relying on the the elevation chart, got to take with a grain of salt. But I do remember the last 10 miles of the course were a, a net elevation loss. So I knew I'd technically be running downhill and that, you know, my splits could possibly be a bit hotter than my first 40 miles. So I just, I just felt like I got a lot of confidence going into those last 10 miles, which, which felt great. That's awesome. I would almost say that 40 miles might've been my low point, uh, because I knew that similarly, like, yeah, you've run, when you get to the point where you've run the distance that you have left, you can start to think, okay, this route that I've done countless times is what I have left. I just have to do this route. But I also was at a spot where my ankle was starting to bother me and that was slowing me down. And there were also some tough hills. Like you said, the, the last 10 miles, when you look at the elevation profile, it looks really friendly, looks pretty downhill. And you'd think that it, it would be pretty easy, but there were some tough hills in there. There was a, a hill, I think around mile 41, where you're basically hiking straight straight up and it was maybe the steepest hill of the day and it wasn't too long but it it was tough so that was where i I hit a hard spot and for me i also got to a place where early on in a marathon or an ultra whatever you're running the first few miles often click by very fast one mile two mile three mile every time you look down at your watch you've hit another mile and in those last 10 miles they took forever you know it was just like the longest amount of time between hitting a new mile. So the last 10 were tough for me, but it's great to hear that you you felt strong, you felt confident. And I think that's just a testament to your your mental strength and the consistency that you put in in your training. I appreciate that, Tucker. Well, I, and I, I'd have to say, I actually still, well, while I say the last 10 miles, I, I got a confidence boost. I, I agree with everything that you said <laughs> because I had that in the back of my mind, but you're right. There were times where, that mile 41 um, incline sucked. And, and to add to what you mentioned, there was all kinds of, of snow. Like it was a shaded area. Um, it was wet. Some of the snow had, had just melted. So you were going uphill, in, in, but in like mud. So that was a very um, a very slow stretch, but still like bigger picture um, in the back of my head. I knew, I still knew, even though like during that stretch that, over the course of, of the next ten miles, it would be it would be downhill. So I kind of I kind of just leaned on that, and, and it helped me get through those those last ten. I think it's also a great lesson to take from this that you need to make you need to find something to motivate you, right? And if you have something to motivate you, it's going to make those last whatever 15, 20 miles. Let's call it the last twenty percent because that's often the challenging part. Whether you're doing a half marathon full marathon, 50 mile, 100 mile. It's that last 20% that's often really tough. So I think it's just really important to wherever you are, if your goals have gone out the window, find some new goal to chase. And luckily for you, your A goal was on the table. You knew that you still had a good shot to get under nine hours and that motivated you. Yeah, those last 10 miles might've been tough at, at certain spots, but you had something to chase. Whereas if your A goal, your B goal were out the window, it might have been easier to just kind of walk it in. So I think that's a, an important lesson to take from this. Yeah, definitely. And actually, another another up uh, upside in my race was, so if we skip ahead to about mile 40, 48 and a half, correct me if I'm wrong, but um, the start-finish line is near the parking lot where 
all the spectators are able to park, but it's on like um, the other side of, of a state road. So uh, for our listeners, this might be kind of hard to imagine, but you come in and you're on the opposite side of the state road. And then you hit an underground tunnel that pops out to the other side of the state road where the, the start finish line is. Right. So as I'm approaching the start finish line, my girlfriend and her friend and our dogs are across this state road. And they are honking their horn. They are screaming. They're saying, let's go chase. And that was awesome. Like I, I could see the start finish line. I knew I had only probably in a mile and a half left to go. Uh, but to hear them, you know, screaming and yelling that, that gave me another boost too. And that probably helped with my, with my, um, uh, my last mile split. Um, that was probably the fastest mile I ran on the day, but that was, that was kind of fun to, to go through as well. Totally. Yeah, it can be a little demoralizing when you can see the finish and you know you have to like run past it on one side of a highway to just run back to it. But to have to be able to hear your crew, your supporters, to see them totally makes sense that that gave you a, a boost of energy. And you know, I want to go into your takeaways from this experience and one lesson that you you can take away from that exact experience of the last two miles is you've always got a little bit of extra to give, right? You know, you, you ran your fastest mile as your last mile and that was with 49 miles on your legs, right? So it's an, it's a good lesson in that you can always find another gear. It just takes being able to push through some of that discomfort to, to find that gear. Um, so this episode I'm, I'm focused on how to run an ultra marathon and You've already signed up for your next one. You've got another 50 miler in the summer, uh, Silver Rush in Leadville. And so I think it's really important to learn from each experience. So what is your biggest takeaway from the Arches 50 miler, your first 50? What's something that you're going to take from that experience into your your next 50 miler? Yeah. And, and this was kind of one of the things that we had a conversation about um, prior to the, the Arches event too. But it's being able to learn new things, but then also... Um, not forgetting what you've done correctly as well, right? So one of the things I just, I feel like that I did really well with Arches um, was my nutrition was on point. And I knew from previous experiences, especially in my marathon, you know, I had cramping. Um, I wasn't drinking enough water. I didn't get enough nutrition in. So I knew that I wasn't going to let that stop me at Arches. And I did, a, I did an awesome job of nutrition at Arches. So for my next 50 miler, you know, at Silver Rush, I'm going to make sure that I do a great job with nutrition as well. In ballpark, what we kind of talked about was two to 300 calories an hour. Um, and then I had, uh, electro, uh, electrolytes in my, my drop bag that I refueled with. And then I was making sure that I was drinking as much water as possible. I ended up having like five or six bananas within the first 30 miles before I started burping up bananas, I, I stopped at, at 30 miles, but my nutrition was great. Like my energy levels were, were awesome. So that's one thing that like, I, I definitely think I did a good job of, and that I'm going to make sure I don't forget that I do um, with Silver Rush. Now as for something that I would like to like implement uh, for my next 50 miler, I just don't think that there is any replacement for um, getting on the trails and getting elevation. So, you know, we talked about some of the limiting factors for us, you know, it's been a pretty busy time for me and for you. And, you know, the sun's setting early, you know, Jeffco Parks close an hour after sundown. You know, it's just really hard to get on the trail. Um, we did a great job of it, 
But I think with you know entering the spring and entering the summer, what I'd like to do is just get more trail runs in and more elevation under under my legs. And I think that that's going to help me leaps and bounds for my for my next for my next fifty for sure. That makes a ton of sense. And I mentioned in the intro to this podcast that training specifically for the event that you're training for is really important. And so we got away with it with arches. And like you said, we, we had the challenges of your schedule, the limited amount of daylight. So we got some good trail runs in on the weekends, but getting trail runs in during the week was tough. And so for Silver Rush, it's definitely going to be something where training during the spring and the summer, we're able to get more time on the trails. And we're also now training for a 50 miler at higher elevation. So getting experience where we're up at eight, 9,000 feet is going to be really important. So great to hear that you have some positives to take away from arches, some things that you know you can do better. That's really how you'll continue to improve is by learning from each experience and taking those, those lessons into the next one. So Thanks a lot for for joining me and, and sharing your your experience from the Arches Fifty. Um, any last thoughts that you want to share? Um, not really. Other than I uh, I did let you know that uh, I signed up for my first hundred miler. So we're gonna we're gonna knock out Silver Rush and then it's back to uh, back to training. You're gonna you're gonna prep me for my first one hundred miler in in October. So I'm super stoked about that. Awesome. Which I think is, is really the true test of, did you have a good experience is, are you willing to sign up for another one? And not only did you sign up for Silver Rush uh, before you'd even run your first 50 miler, but you went as far as to say, I'm going to do my first hundred. So that's awesome. I'm super stoked to be a part of it and help you on this journey. And like I said, thanks so much for, for coming on and joining me and sharing your experiences and good luck with your training. I'm excited to to see where where you go with with your pursuit in in the ultra world. Thanks, Tucker, and yeah, thanks for all of your uh, you know your advice and your help and your coaching. Um, I don't think it would be as as much of a success without you. There's no way. So I appreciate all that you've done. Well, thanks a lot, Chase. I appreciate that. That's what I'm here for. But at the end of the day, you got to go out there and do it. You know, I can't hold your hand along the way, and I uh, you know I'm so incredibly proud of your performance at Arches to run your first 50 miler in under nine hours is an incredible accomplishment. So very proud of you. And like I said, really excited to, to see what you can do next. Thanks, bro. Appreciate it. Thank you so much for listening. I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Chase. I look forward to bringing you more stories from other athletes and coaches out there to help you with your training. Hit subscribe so that you don't miss a single episode, and I look forward to bringing you more information to help you become the best version of yourself.